For the last three weeks, we've been looking at the songs of Christmas. Not the songs on the radio, nor even the songs that we sing sometimes during our worship services on Sunday. But instead, the songs of Christmas that are found in the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke. These times when people, or in one case as angel, burst out in song and announce the good news of Jesus and all that God has done. We looked at the song of Mary, this protest song where she talks about the way God brings about a great reversal, bringing down those who are high up in their thrones and lifting up the lowly and the hungry and the poor. We looked at the song of Zechariah as we were reminded of all the promises that God made and how they are fulfilled in Jesus. And last week we talked about the song of the angels as they announced the birth of Jesus to the shepherds, this good news of great joy and what joy looks like in the midst of darkness. And this week we're going to be looking at the song of Simeon. Now this song may not be as familiar, it's not as well known a part of the Christmas story, and it actually takes place after Christmas, after the birth of Jesus. And so we're going to look at this and think about what it's telling us about the nature of the salvation that we find in Jesus. So let's turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, where we pick up this story. And so again, this is after the birth of Jesus. And it says, When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him, that is Jesus, to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And so this is maybe um, eight days after the birth of Jesus. Sometime in that period, it, it's hard to know. There's several different purification rites, different things that are going on. And so they're bringing him to the temple. And when we read this, one of the things that Luke is calling our attention to is the fact that Mary and Joseph were righteous. They were obedient Jews. They were seeking to live out and follow what God had called them to do. Because it even says later on, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male to be, is to be consecrated to the Lord. So there's this very much this picture of Mary and Joseph seeking to live out and follow what God had called them to do. But we're also reminded of this continuity that Jesus didn't drop out of the sky out of nowhere, but he's a part of a much larger story, that he fits within the story of God and his people Israel. And that will be important a little bit later, but how Jesus fits into this and that Mary and Joseph are doing what every good Jewish father and mother would do. They're bringing their child to the temple and there's these rites that they go through and they're following the law that is the Torah, these, these guidelines that God had given to his people for that to set them apart from the rest of the world. And so here they are, they bring their child into the temple to bring about these rites. And it also says one of the details, it says and they brought um, two a pair of doves or two young pigeons. And, and that little detail is a part of one of the offerings of these purification rites was for some people was a lamb and for some people was two doves or two pigeons. And the two doves or two pigeons were an allowed sacrifice or an allowed offering for those who weren't as wealthy. And so we're just reminded again that Joseph and Mary are your commoners. They're not necessarily at the bottom, the most poor, but they're not wealthy people either. And so Joseph was a, was a carpenter, he was a tradesman, and so he wasn't a beggar on the streets, but he was also not a rich man. And so here we have this picture of Mary and Joseph coming. But it's not Mary and Joseph the story centers on. The story really revolves 
around a man named Simeon. And what we read here is that Simeon was also righteous and devout. In other words, he was another person who was seeking to live his life in obedience to God. And then it says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And now the consolation of Israel, not a phrase that we use very often. And even the word consolation, I think the only time I ever use the word consolation is maybe in connection with a consolation prize, kind of a second thing. But that's not what Simeon is talking about here. That's not what Luke is talking about when he talks about the consolation of Israel. The consolation, the consoling, this picture really is of comfort. And the word, the phrasing takes us back to the prophet Isaiah in particular, number of the other prophets, but most of all is probably in the prophet Isaiah. And we read the passage a few weeks ago from the start or from chapter 40 of the book of Isaiah, which is a start of a big, long section. Really, Isaiah 40 to Isaiah 55 is one big, long section that focuses on God's work and particularly God's servant, who is the one that we later understand to be Jesus. But Isaiah chapter 40 begins with these phrases, comfort, comfort my people, which is a phrase that's used in um, Handel's Messiah, kind of the big opening line, comfort, comfort my people. And so this phrase that um, Simeon, or this thing that Simeon is waiting for, the consolation of Israel, is for God to come and bring comfort to his people. And really, as we read through, what we realize is that when it talks about the consolation of Israel, the consolation of Israel is another phrasing, another way of saying the salvation. And because what it's doing is it's bringing about that the people of Israel, God's people, are in distress, they're in, time, they're in need. And so God brings consolation, God brings their rescue, God brings their salvation. And so we're going to look a little more deeply at what that means by a salvation. But we first of all, we see Simeon here, he's waiting for that. And it says he had been promised, or he, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And so God had spoken to him and revealed to him in some way that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And Messiah, again, is that Hebrew word, which in Greek is Christos or Christ. And so we see that as Jesus the Christ or, or Christ Jesus. He's the Messiah. He's the, the chosen one. He's the anointed one, the one who will bring about God's rescue, who will bring about the salvation that God has promised. And it says, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple court. So again, God not only promised to him, but then God speaks to him. He, he nudges, he whispers to him in some way and lets him know that the Messiah has now come. And so then when the parents and Simeon took him in his arms, so he takes Jesus in his arms and praises God. And here's what he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. And so here is Simeon. It's as if he's been waiting. Kind of imagine a, a watchman, a lookout up on the towers, and he's looking and he's looking and he's waiting for a certain event. And then when that event is passed, now he can be dismissed from his post. He can no longer has to sit and watch. And so here's Simeon. He's been waiting and he's watching and he's saying, now my job is done. My time is done. The promise has been fulfilled and I can go in peace. Because for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. 
Listen to those words of Simeon. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation. But what has Simeon actually seen at this point? Has he seen all of the promises of God come true? No, he's simply seen Jesus. But in this, what, Jesus, what Simeon says here, what we see is that salvation is Jesus. Jesus is salvation. These two things are really one and the same, that Jesus is the one who brings salvation. Jesus is salvation. So to see Jesus is to see salvation. And it's just a reminder to us that Jesus is at the center of the story of what God is doing to set things right. Jesus is the one who brings about God's salvation. So when we talk about salvation, we have to talk about Jesus. We can't talk about salvation apart from Jesus. And so Simeon is saying here, for I have seen your salvation. And because he's seen that, he can depart in peace. And so here's another thing for us to think about is that because when we have seen Jesus, there's a comfort that that brings. When we know the salvation that is found in Jesus, there's a comfort, a sense of that everything is okay. And that's what Simeon is saying here, is that now I can depart in peace. Now I can rest because I've seen your salvation. And so when we see the same thing, when we see Jesus, when we see that salvation is found in Him, there's a comfort that that brings. But what I want to spend the rest of our time doing is thinking about what do we mean when we say salvation? As Simeon's described it here, the consolation of Israel, the salvation of Israel, which he says, you have prepared in the sight of all peoples. And so one of the things we realize is that salvation was part of God's plan, that it was something that didn't just drop out of the sky, didn't all of a sudden occur to God and say, oh, I better do something about this. But instead, it was a part of his plan all along. And even we heard that in the passage we read from Galatians earlier, where it talked about that at just the right time. So there was a sense of God's plan and God's timing. And Jesus came at just the right time, that somehow within history, that that was the moment when all the things were in the right place, where God had arranged everything in the right place to bring about his salvation and his plan. And so, what is it that we mean when we say salvation? There's a lot we can say, and salvation is this big thing, and I think that's part of what we want to get our heads around and continue to remind ourselves of when we think of salvation, that it's this big thing, that there's so much involved in salvation. It's about God setting all things right, about God making all things new. And so here, what I want us to think about this morning is just three particular aspects of salvation. And so when we tie this together, we have to understand it, again, as part of this bigger story. I mentioned earlier that Joseph and Mary bringing Jesus to the temple reminded us of this connection to the story. And when Simeon says the consolation of Israel, we're reminded it's a part of this bigger story. And so we heard part of that when we read the prophet Isaiah earlier in chapter 52. In this language of how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. This, this picture of a messenger running and proclaiming good news, proclaiming that God has done something. He proclaimed peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation. It says, who say in Zion, or who say in Jerusalem, your God reigns. 
And so salvation is this picture of God reigning and bringing things. He says, and then later in that same passage from chapter 52, burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted His people. Again, that language of comfort. For He has redeemed Jerusalem. And so this language of redemption, of restoration. But there's kind of, if we had time, could go back and look through the prophets, and particularly in, again, Isaiah, which is often referred to as the fifth gospel. These three parts to salvation, and these aren't even all the three parts, but three parts that I want us to think about today. And one of those is an end to warfare and the defeat of enemies. And so that's one of the things we see in the prophets and we hear in this language is that one of the things that salvation means, one of the things that the consolation of Israel means is a defeat of enemies, is the end to warfare, is the end to conflict. And so when we think about it now in the context of Jesus and what He's done and how He brings about salvation, we're not necessarily thinking about, oh, this is the defeat of those enemies out there, this crushing of Rome. But instead, for us, we can maybe think about it in the context, what are the enemies that we face? What are the challenges that we face? One of them is, one of our enemies is death. And that Jesus, through His death and resurrection, has defeated that. So the defeat of the enemies is that. It's an end to the conflict, an end to our war with sin. Well, it's not an end to the war with sin, but that the enemy, that that enemy has been defeated. And so there's this continuing picture of it. And to say that So when we think about for ourselves, when we're thinking about the defeat of our enemies, one of the enemies that we deal with is death. And so Jesus, in His life, death, and resurrection, has defeated that enemy. So salvation means the end, the defeat of that enemy. A second thing that salvation gives us a picture of, and this is one of the ones that we see a lot in the prophets, is an end to exile. And exile is this theme that runs through the Scripture. And exile is this picture of when God's people aren't living according to God's plans, one of the consequences of that, one of the consequences of, of breaking God's commands, of sinning against God, is being sent into exile, is being sent up, away or apart from the presence of God. And so when we hear then of God returning the people from exile, of bringing them back to Jerusalem, of bringing them back. There's this picture of God restoring that relationship. There's a picture of also understanding that part of what happens is the return from exile is a picture of forgiveness of sins. That they wouldn't be returning from exile if their sins weren't forgiven. And so there are all these images, all these pictures that are wrapped together. And so this return from exile, the end of exile, is a sign of forgiveness. And so when we hear about salvation, that too is a part of it. It's not only the defeat of our enemies and the end to conflict, but salvation also involves an end of exile, which in part of that is it's a return to the presence of God. It's a restoration of relationship with God. And it's also forgiveness of sins. And sometimes we want to reduce 
there's a temptation to reduce salvation down to that one part of it, that it's our sins being forgiven so that we can go to the good place instead of the bad place, so that we can be with God for all of eternity. And that's a part of it, but it's not all of it. And so this even this picture of return from exile shows that it's beyond that. It says that forgiveness of sins is a part of salvation, but it's not all of it. So we have an end to conflict. We have the end of exile. And then we also have this restoration where it says, Simeon says, um, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. That another part of salvation is that it's a renewal, a restoration of our calling. That from the beginning of the Bible, one of the things that God has said is that He created and called His people with a purpose, with a mission, or maybe we could say a vocation, a calling to be a light to the world, to show the world what God is like and to live and to flourish as God's people. And so salvation is a restoration of that because if you've gone into exile, if you're in conflict with your enemies, you can't be living out that calling. And so part of salvation then is because you have been, the enemies have been defeated, because you've been called back from exile, now you are able to live out your vacation and your calling. And so a part of salvation for us is a reminder that we are to be a light to the world, that we are to show the world the nature of God, that we are to reflect back to the world, the goodness, the love, the grace, the peace, the mercy of God. And so salvation involves a restoration of that calling and that exile. And so here Simeon reminds us of that big picture of what salvation is all about. That it's the defeat of the enemies, that it's an end to exile, that it's a a restoration of our calling to be a light. And we see as he's talking about it that it's a light, salvation to the Gentiles and to your people Israel. So salvation, as we think about it, is all of those things. It's this big thing. But salvation is for everybody. It's for all people. And we might be tempted to think about salvation and think, well, but you don't understand that I've done these terrible things and it can't possibly be for me. And part of what Luke really makes a point of all through his gospel is that salvation is for everybody. That it's for, there's no one that's beyond the ability for God to call back and to redeem. And it's also salvation is for everybody means everybody needs salvation. That there aren't people who say, well, I'm, I'm doing a pretty good job and so I don't really need that. And so we have to avoid those two temptations, those two, not temptations, those two poles. One is to say that I'm too far beyond I'm too bad, I've done too many things that I've passed God's salvation. Or on the other end, to say, well, I'm really living a pretty good life, so I don't really need it. And what Simeon is getting at here in giving this hint of what we'll see all through the rest of Luke, as he tells it in his gospel, and then on into the book of Acts, which is the sequel to Luke, is to say that, no, everyone needs salvation, and salvation is available to everyone through Jesus. And that's the second part of what, or the third part of what we want to do. So the big, how great salvation is, that salvation is for everyone. But lastly, just going back to what I talked about a little bit earlier, when Simeon says, mine eyes have seen your salvation. 
and he has seen Jesus. And so Jesus is salvation. So this big salvation, this broad salvation that includes the end of enemies and the defeat of enemies, that it includes the end of exile, that includes a restoration of our vocation, that it's available for everybody. But if we have to say something about salvation, or I, maybe a better way to say it is not if we have to say something about salvation, but we can't talk about salvation without talking about Jesus. That salvation is found in Jesus. And this is why Simeon's singing. It's why the angels sang. It's why Zechariah sang. It's why Mary sang. And they sang about Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who brings salvation. Here he's just a child, but he will grow to be a man. He will give his life on a cross for our salvation. To defeat our enemies. To bring us out of exile. To bring forgiveness to our sins. To enable us to live out our vocation and our calling. But it's all found in Jesus. And in Him and in Him alone. And so I would invite you, if you haven't experienced that salvation, if you're longing to find those enemies defeated, to find the enemy of death defeated, to find whatever other conflicts that you're struggling with, if you're longing to be in the presence of God, if you desire to have your sins forgiven, if you want to discover and to live out the calling that God has for you, to give your life to Jesus, to proclaim Him as Lord, to ask for His forgiveness. That's what Simeon's doing when he's singing this song. He's telling us about who Jesus is. And he's inviting us to live into that life. So as we come into this Christmas season, as we begin to celebrate in just a few days the birth of Jesus, may you know the salvation that is found in Jesus. And may you sing praise to God along with Simeon. And may all our voices join together and sing about the salvation that is found in Jesus and in Him alone. Amen.